You now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right here on thesonicbreakdown.com. This episode of the Stay Woke Podcast is sponsored by Concrete Flower Clothing. Hip-hop legend Tupac Shakur once stated, You see, you wouldn't ask why the rose that grew from concrete had damaged petals. On the contrary, we would all celebrate its tenacity. We would all love it, its will to reach the sun. Concrete Flower Clothing is a dope company that has a strong hip-hop influence in their merchandise, so you should definitely check them out. Their Instagram is Concrete Flower Clothing, and their website where you can purchase that merchandise is concrete-flower.com. Welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. I'm D-Ray Brinson, and today I'm talking with Anissa, who is a mother of an autistic child, and we're going to get to talk to her about that, get a little bit better understanding of what it's like to live in her shoes. Um, so first, I want to say welcome, Anissa, and thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. Let's just start with a, a, a few basic things, like where, where are you from? Originally, I'm from the Bay Area. I was born in Hayward, California, and I lived actually in the same house my whole life, <laughs> well, uh, most of my childhood until 18. And then I moved to Fremont. And then shortly after that, I moved to Los Angeles. Okay. What what inspired the move to LA? Originally wanted to go to school because there were so many uh, cutbacks in the with the schools in the Bay Area. I was having a hard time trying to get into classes that I needed. So I thought if I moved to a bigger city, I would have better opportunities to finish school. Also, my work, like, they allowed me to transfer without any problems, so it was a pretty easy decision. Oh, that's nice. What, what were you like as a kid? What was, uh, what was, what was uh, your life growing up? I am the middle child. I have an older brother and a younger brother, mm-hmm. and I'm the only girl. And I was very shy, very quiet growing <laughs> up, a big tomboy. I love sports, but I had a really good childhood. My parents worked a lot to provide for me and my brothers to be able to uh, join sports and do different things in school. So a lot of my childhood was spent with my grandparents, who who I was really close to growing up and with my cousins. So it was pretty awesome. Like We all hung out, all of my cousins, every single day at my grandmother's house um, while our parents were at work. Okay. Okay. So you, it sounds like you have a, a close, a close knit family. Is it still that I way? I do. I do. Now I talk to my parents, not as often as I'd like, but we, they're, they're very cl- We're all very close. They come and visit about once a month. And, uh, I try to go out there often, but with my schedule and my son's schedule, it's pretty hectic here. So they make their way out like for a weekend every month. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's, that's nice that you have uh, the family that's close like that, as well as the ability to, to visit you as often as, um, as they do. I know. I'm very thankful that it's a short drive away because there are a lot of people who move and they're so far from their parents and, you know, it's flights or it's it's a lot harder for them to be able to keep a close relationship. So yeah. I'm very thankful for that. I want to kind of segue this into um, doing research for this podcast and doing research about this this topic. I found that there is a split between people in that, I guess, community about the term of autism versus autistic. Do you have a preferred term that you um, rather be uh, used? So for me personally, I, I'm not offended by either term, but this is a huge, huge, huge issue with the autism community. And a lot of people believe that that the person should be referred as a person before the disorder or the d- diagnosis. So mm. um, 
a child with autism versus being autistic. You know, the same as what, like the same as if you have cancer, you wouldn't be known as cancer. You would be known as a person with cancer. So this is, it's very sensitive for a lot of parents. Me personally, I, it doesn't bother me. I introduce my son as autistic or if, you know, he is doing something that maybe other kids are looking at him or, you know, not understanding why he's doing it, then I, I explain it with, you know, he is autistic. That's just something that naturally comes out. I do understand why it's a big it's a big problem for a lot of people to to refer to a child or, or a person as autistic. But yeah, for me, I'm good. It, I, I'm not offended either way. When did you find out about that controversy between about the terms? Because I'm relatively new to this, but I'm, I'm assuming this was something that you found out um, earlier on. Yeah, I'm actually a part of a lot of different groups, um, a lot of groups about parents or groups of parents with autism or just any de- uh, different developmental delays. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of topics that come up and, and people just will ask, you know, like, you know, how do you feel about this? Or what do you think about that? You know, we talk about everything with autism. So I think I first heard people talking about it maybe about a year ago. And, you know, it was interesting to me just because I, I, I'm not easily offended. So I, I didn't ever think anything was wrong with me labeling my son as autistic instead of, you know, a person with autism. But yeah, listening to other people's responses and you know how it made them feel that made me more careful with you know approaching or talking to other parents that had children with autism yeah like i said i i just found out about that so uh, I, i'm definitely will uh, choose my words more wisely when i'm talking about this subject because i don't want to offend anybody and if you don't know you don't know so um, i thank you for uh, breaking down the difference in why it is offensive so others out there don't offend people incidentally yeah no no problem as a mother growing up or having a child with that disorder, or, and or is it considered a disorder, a disease, a condition? What is the also best terminology in that regard um, as well? So it's not a disease, but mm. I, um, it's a disorder, I guess they would say, because um, what it's classified, the, the medical term is um, autism spectrum disorder, so okay. ASD. So sometimes people will just say ASD, that's also autism. Um but now it's, there's kind of an umbrella um, of what ASD is. And um, like Asperger's falls into that, which before Asperger's wasn't considered autism. It was two separate things. They were tr- they still are treated very differently. But I read that for medical reasons, to be able to receive like medical benefits and treatments, they had to basically classify it as a disorder. So they kind of just put it under that umbrella of ASD. Okay. And that kind of segues into another question that I did have um, in regards to health insurance. And because, uh, of course, that's a big thing in uh, society, especially with the Obamacare, Trump care division and the changing of health care. How do you think that kind of changes will affect you and, and your son? You know, it's pretty awful because I we received so much treatment when my son was diagnosed and uh we received so much help and like one of the big places that helped us was the regional center and they kind of just guided us um it didn't matter what how much money you made none of that mattered if you had a child with a disability they had different people that could help you with different things they sit down with you they educate you they tell you you know what programs are around what things are available to you and this is this for us you know was funded 
through with Obamacare. So Mm. with any changes that are made, a big cut that is talked about is basically taking away funding for, for places like the regional centers and the schools, which provide treatment for kids like my son and my son's friends. So it makes me nervous just because my son is only four. He rely he needs these services to learn how to do things on you know that we have been blessed to be able to learn easily things yeah. like holding a pencil anything with fine motor uh, learning how to eat with utensils like these are things that have been worked on for many many months and I just, I feel very nervous, not for myself, because I know that we were able to get help, you know, um, right after diagnosis, and a lot of it, most of it was free, but I fear for parents having children if that changes with a disability because they won't have those options, and it's it's a life-changing thing that happens when you have a child or you have someone in your family with autism. It, it completely changes everything. So I just feel very, very worried for for other parents and other people who may go through what I've gone through without the help that I've had. Well, yeah, that, I can see that being very devastating if they don't have those resources, especially if, if you don't have a lot of knowledge about it already or you don't have the resources. Yeah, that can be very devastating. How many children do you have, first of all? I have two children. My son is four. His name's Max, and I have a two-year-old daughter. Her name is Mila, and they're about 19 months apart, so they're pretty close in age. Oh, that's that's cool. And congratulations on on, on, on the two on the two little ones. When did you find out about, or when when was he diagnosed? So I worked in the medical field eight years before I had my son, and you know I got to work in a lot of different departments, and I got to learn a lot of basic medical knowledge, you know, um, and diff- you know, and ways to help in different situations, and. I noticed maybe about eight months that my son was not responding to me in a way that I felt was typical. Uh, When I would call his name, he wouldn't look at me. He had this toy and he would, and it had like a little hammer and he would bang the hammer over and over and over again. And it was like he was obsessed with with that sound and that that motion and we just kind of laughed and you know we said like oh wow he really loves that toy and you know at 11 months I would you know take him to the window and I lived on like a kind of busy street and look at the car and look at the tree and do you see that and I would point and he wouldn't even like move his eyes they they would just stay at whatever he was looking at. And it was like when I was talking, like nothing was happening mm. for him. So I started emailing my doctor and or his doctor and letting him know, you know, um, I've noticed that he's not able to do this, this or that. And my doctor said, you know, it's normal. Just, just, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing everything right. And I did again at 15 months. And I said, he's, you know, he doesn't have any words and he's not talking. And I'm still seeing the same signs. I'm worried. And he said, you know, a lot of kids talk late, especially boys. It's not a big deal. And um, so then my last email was, you know, I, I need to get my son checked for autism. I, I see a lot of signs in him and he's still not talking. So they told me they can't diagnose him until 18 months. So I made an appointment for the day that he turned 18 months, and um, it was October 30th, I remember. We took him in, and right away the doctor said he had every sign and that she read through my emails and they were major red flags and that the doctor should have caught that and, uh, you know, forwarded over to her because that's her specialty. And Mm. 
you know, that we, we missed a lot of months because the doctor really wasn't listening to anything I was saying. And from my understanding, the earlier you catch it, the better it is to help with techniques on about those fine motor skills. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the earlier the intervention, the better. So there's a lot of different delays that a child with autism can have. And the earlier, and they also pick up bad, well, it's not a bad behavior, but um, a behavior that's not considered normal. So you'd call it, we'd call it stimming. So like my son will hit his leg over and over again. That hammer thing where he was hitting with that toy, that's a stim. Things like that, mm. the longer they go on, then the harder it is to break those habits because that is how they learn to cope with difficult situations. So if maybe something is too bright or too loud or there's just too much going on, they're very overstimulated, Mm. then they will stim to kind of break themselves from that, that moment and to create like either an input or an output to make their body feel good. So if we were to have started months earlier, we could have stopped behaviors that had, you know, grown to be more. And instead of making, instead of them being habits, because that's how we learn to cope with it, you know, better ways to cope with it. Exactly. Okay. So to me, it sounds like you you were really ahead of the game and you were really attentive and, and noticing these signs and that the doctor really wasn't responsive. I can just imagine that being frustrating, especially after the fact when you talk to the, the specialist and they tell you that. How did you deal with that frustration of knowing that you you as the mother knew something was, wasn't right and just, I guess... It could be both, you know, frustrating as well as relieving that you now have a salute or have an answer to what what's going on. I think for me, I was really frustrated when I was speaking with the specialist because it seemed to be like such an easy diagnosis. But I was also very frustrated and very hurt. I felt like it was my fault, even though I sent emails and that I you know, noticed things and, and I tried to get help, I still felt like it was my fault. So I felt very responsible for for his diagnosis. And I think that's something that a lot of parents with autism, they go through during the the diagnosis. It's, it's completely heartbreaking. And, you know, you're everything that you, you all of the dreams that you, you thought that you had for your child, it just feels so far out of reach and impossible. And you worry about things that you, you never even thought of. And I think that I just felt heartbroken and like I was responsible more than anything else. Wow. I can't even imagine. Can you tell me again when, what age he was when you, when you got the diagnosis? 18 months. So okay. 18 18, months oh, yeah, that's right. You said, you, yeah, the earliest yeah. that you can get. That's right. The, the earliest that they will, because sometimes they think that they don't want to do. I, I, I believe the reason why they don't is because the testing that is required to give a diagnosis is expensive, and that's not something they want to do until they find that it's absolutely necessary. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to put too much stress on the child unless you have to, kind of situation. Yeah. And you said that your children are 19 months apart. Was that correct? Yes. So, so that, you were pregnant at that time too as well. So I can imagine how did that factor in? Um, it made me feel really guilty and really selfish that I was about to bring another child into this world and that my son was about to basically start a whole new world and a whole new life and 
they right away talked about all these different therapies that he would have to do and about the process. And I was lucky that the doctor that we saw, the specialist, she expedited things because I was pregnant. So we were able to do a lot of the necessary appointments that we needed to do before I gave birth. And then my son didn't start treatment um, or his therapies until my daughter was about four to five weeks old. And at that point, I had already hired help to help with my daughter so that I could be a part of my son's therapy. Okay. At any point during the pregnancy, did you did you have any worries that that this might af- af- affect your your child, the pregnancy as well? Was that any thoughts going through your mind in, at that point as well? Do you mean with um my with your daughter? Da- with my daughter coming. Mm. You know, it's really <laughs> this sounds awful, but I was so attached to my son and I was so worried and I had all these feelings for him that I feel guilty now that Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like my daughter needed me in the beginning. I felt like all she needed to do was sleep and eat (laughs) and that as long as she had that and she had love and I thought she would be fine and I felt like my son was just completely lost and I had to save him. I just, I don't know. It was like he, he took every, everything that I had. And how do you balance, how do you find that balance now? Are you, are you, um, do you still feel like you're having that, that issue of finding that balance between the both of them? No. So we, my son went through a few different things. So he started like a home therapy. So we had speech therapy, occupational therapy, and a behaviorist that worked with him about four to five times a week when he was uh 18 months and they would come to the house. So I was able to be with my daughter and with my son. And then eventually he went into a school program and was gone four hours a day. And so I had that four hours to interact with my daughter. Okay. So she got her alone time as well. Yeah. So now that my son is um, in school, well, when he aged out of the program, he went into a longer program. Mm -hmm. So I had more time to spend with her. So is he in a specialized school or classroom now? Like what? What is what is his uh, educational regimen? With the current way that the services work, from two and under, the uh, actually three and under children get services from regional center, and they're covered, so they're free. And then once they turn four, they go into the school district. So. When my son turned three, we met with the school district and basically they evaluate your child and and tell you what they think that your child needs. It's a very short, maybe an hour to two hour interview and they watch your child during that time. And then they basically plan out your child's next year. It's called, you know, an IEP. So the school district covers that. So I was able to get my son into a school for children with autism. And the difference between this type of program and a regular like special education program at school is that this program is led by a behaviorist and there's one behaviorist for every two children in the class and the behaviorist is trained to help the negative behaviors to control them and to redirect them Mm. so they teach the children how to redirect them and this is six hour five days a week uh, school and it has a speech therapist and a occupational therapist that are also part of the program and they are able to socialize and interact with other children while getting one-on-one treatment. The parents get to choose the goals that are worked on for the whole year. So like one year for my son, it was being able to identify three to five things that 
are things that he sees throughout his day. So it could be a pair of shoes, a backpack, a lunch. But when someone asks, you know, where is your lunch, for him to be able to point out what that is. Then the occupational therapist works on fine motor and getting them ready for preschool. And then the speech therapist will work on uh, whatever type of language that the the child is working on. So whether it be like a PEX book or a uh, communication device that's like electronic, or if they do have words, then she helps them to work on communicating with more words. I know communication is very big with um, with parents and, and children that are dealing with autism. What, what's Mac's form of communicating with you? So my son has never had any words. Some children have had words and they lose lose language that's one of the big indicators of autism but my son he he's never had any words so um he did start off with a pex book and a pex book is a picture exchange system and there's dividers inside this tiny binder that they carry on their waist and they're taught to get what they need from the, the picture and give it to the person that would help would best help them so that didn't work well with my son. He kind of started to gen- like overgeneralize with things, so everything became goldfish. And <laughs> we knew he didn't want goldfish, but that was the first thing that he learned. So he knew that if I give you something, then you have to give me what I want back. Mm-hmm. So we uh, eventually moved to a electronic communication device, and he's learning to use that now. He still doesn't have any words. He can kind of get out high, but... He's still learning the functions of language. So when I say something to you, you say something back. So even though he doesn't have words, if I say hi, Max, then he'll say something back. So it could mm. just be I or bye or mm. But he's starting to understand that that's one of the rules of language that or communication. If I say something to you, you say something back. So now that he's doing that consistent, consistently, we're working on shaping that into a word. So he has like a five different words that he works on every single day and you know sometimes he's able to say things and it sounds really clear and sometimes he has a harder time processing what we're asking the biggest thing with communication is that the children with autism they are learning and they're understanding sometimes what you're asking them but they don't have a form of communication to let you know that they they understand or that they hear you so what happens when um you want when you want to speak you know you have the thought in your head and that thought goes you know okay you need to make your mouth make these uh you know this shape and your vocal cords. your vocal vocal cords need to make this sound well for children with autism sometimes there's a processing delay in that pattern so even though their mind is saying you know say hi they can try to make their mouth make the shape but they can't always also make the vocal sound so there's a lot more going on than we realize and it's very natural and very easy for us to say things but for them they have that processing delay that happens which affects communication and I, w- I would assume that it that it that would have to be frustrating knowing that you know you want to communicate something and you want the other person to understand what you want to communicate but they can't how does he express his frustration so i think it's frustrating on both parts mm-hmm. um my son was an, a very easy baby and you know uh, even as a toddler, he was pretty easy. He's only now starting to get frustrated. And I think it's because he finally understands that he has choices. Uh And before everything that he did was in such a routine that he knew what was expected. But you know, when you try a new food, or you're like, wow, that those chips were a lot better than my sandwich. (laughs) And you realize that you have choices, then, you know, 
not being able to say, hey, I don't want that anymore, or I'm, I'm tired of that food, or I don't want to watch this show. Since he doesn't have that, he does do a little whine, but he doesn't really have many aggressive or like like frustrated behaviors. He will pull me usually now to what he wants. So if I put something on his t- on in front of him that he doesn't want to eat, he'll kind of push it away. And if I don't bring him another option, then he'll get up and he'll pull my hand and he'll pull me to what he wants. And he doesn't know how to open a door or like a pantry door. So then he'll put my hand on the door and then I open the door and then he'll look around for what he's looking for. And if he can reach it, he'll bring it down. And if he can't, then, you know, he will try to get me to do it. Even when he's frustrated, he's actually just, he's such a nice boy. (laughs) His frustrations are, are very, very small. I think I have more problems with my two-year-old being frustrated than (laughs) my four-year-old gotcha what are some of the activities that he likes to do that that you can tell that that he finds enjoyable so he loves to spin and to jump and to swing and to run and he's always loved to run like he loves being outside and and just running through the grass he loves to watch trees and like the movement of things he loves car rides like he will ask He'll pull me to the car to take him in the car just to go on a ride. And he just loves looking out the window. And he's very, very visual. When he was younger, he would look through all the leaves in our yard and, and just find one leaf that he like absolutely loved and would hold on to it. And I could never figure out why. He, I, I still don't know why. Like, if was it the texture, the color? Was it a big one? Was it a... I don't know what made it the perfect leaf for him. Hmm. But I would grab it and I would put it back in the leaves and mix it up and he would within a few seconds just find that leaf and pick it up again and and hold it and kind of run away but he's always been very very overstimulated visually so I think just being outdoors and and watching things even just people watching that seems to be like one of his favorite things to do oh wow that's that's awesome that that you found that and that he gets that enjoyment from those things and that that is interesting about the visual um, overstimulation that, you know, outside, because a lot of people nowadays, especially with today's generation, everybody wants to be in their phones or on a computer and doesn't really enjoy nature and just how the, the essence of sounds like what you're saying is just the slowness of of just being outside and just that kind of calmness. I should say not slowness, but more calmness of being outside is enjoyable to him. I just find that interesting. I know it honestly has made me like go on more walks and spend more time outside and spend more time looking out the window. And I I love it. And all the the behaviors and teachers at his school, you know, they always talk about his favorite thing to do is to run to the window and to just look out the window and, and watch the cars. And I know, you know, soon he'll talk and I can't wait for him to explain why that that's so relaxing for him but you know I think maybe when things become too much that that's just like a break and you know I love that I wish I could find peace in that also yeah uh, we can we can learn lessons from uh, like they say you can learn lessons from the mouths of babes so <laughs> yeah for sure what would you say is one of the biggest setbacks that you've had just dealing with with all of this I, I can just imagine that a lot of it is daunting especially in the very beginning, getting all this new information. Well, actually, how, how familiar were with autism prior to it, outside of the, your, you know, being in the medical field? So I, even being in the medical field, I heard it a lot, but I didn't completely understand it. And most of it, most of why I didn't understand it sounds so ignorant now, but it was because the child looked normal. Mm-hmm. And I know that's one of the things that I hate when people say to me, it, it is so offensive, but 
I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't understand what it was and I heard it so much and you're given very little information from people about it. So I, I had to learn everything, everything that from the day he was diagnosed, I had to read books and go to classes. And I was very lucky that once he got into a school program at, at um, like two and a half, mm-hmm. that they offered parent education every Friday. So we learned everything, like from potty training to why there's bad behavior to why communication is so hard and what is a stim and, you know, how to help with aggressive behavior. And, and they taught me so much. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, that was also provided by the regional center so it was all free information all you had to do was show up on Fridays and yeah I'm so glad I got to learn with a bunch of other moms and dads that you know were new to it too because it was for all the the children that were in that program for the parents and family members just with that program alone with those uh teaching sessions that they give on Friday um, for the parents as well it sounds like it would create kind of a support system within itself is that how you met a lot of the parents that you're in the groups with now? Or how did that kind of relationship uh, spawn? It definitely brought a lot of friendships, mostly because we would see, well, I would I would always hang out or I would try to hang out at the school as much as I could and just help out and watch and, and see what was going on. So I knew when I got home that we were doing the same things at home that they were doing at school. So seeing all the other kids and getting familiar with, you know, the problems and the strengths that they had. It was so nice to finally like get to meet the parents of of those children and then everyone would be able to ask questions and get answers and you know when a parent would start opening up about what their child did and it just it made us so close without us even trying just being able to you know, support each other and give each other advice. And, you know, I tried this and this worked for my son or, you know, I I didn't think of that. Thanks. And it brought us really, really close. I'm actually really good friends with most of those parents still. That's amazing because um, I just think support and having people understand what you're going through without you always have to explain it because it sounds bad, but it's there's people that want to help, but sometimes them wanting to help and you have to explain what you're going through makes it more difficult. Is that something that that you find yourself dealing with, trying to explain to parents that don't have children that are de- that have autism versus you know them not having autism? Explaining that to them does that seem bothersome or does it get frustrating? Having to explain why some things are different. I think now that my son is getting a little bit older and and these therapies have been pretty successful and you know have helped me to kind of cope with a lot of different feelings I don't think that it makes me as frustrated anymore but you know I get together with some of the moms at my son's school and in his program now and we get together about once a month and we just have dinner and a few drinks and we talk about things and some of the funny things that we talk about are people like that you know they're like oh can you believe that so and so invited me to go to this outdoor park like they have no idea my child would just run away like we make jokes about like things like that so I think now it's not as frustrating it's just funny but yeah like there's a lot of safety concerns that parents with autism have and a lot some, t- some people have children that are more aggressive. So, you know, taking them to a place where there's a lot of smaller children or babies, you know, it, it's hard to explain. Like my son doesn't understand boundaries yet, you know. So a lot of parents that I know that have typical kids, what we call, not we, but a lot of parents with autism, autistic children or that talk about the 
autistic community, we call them children without autism. We mm. call them neurotypical. So okay. we call them like NTs or neurotypical. And so we'll say it, you know, like they don't understand that if you have a neurotypical child, you can take them and do almost anything. And they understand when things are dangerous. They understand when they're in trouble. They understand that they hurt somebody. And these are things that we can't necessarily teach our children in, you know, a year or two. Like these are things that our children will probably work on their, their whole lives. So it used to be kind of embarrassing, I guess, before when I would have to like decline thing. But now I, I just think it's kind of funny. Like people <laughs> have no idea. I can't just do things the way that they do. Yeah. A different aspect of life that they don't have to deal with. How, how, does, how does Max interact with his sister? How does, how does the, how's their relationship? It's, it's really, it's better now. They're really close in age. So a lot of behaviors that my son has that are negative behavior she copies so she tries really really hard to get his attention and to play with him but him um he's mostly interested in in playing by himself so i think their interactions are good so far she's really persistent she's very strong she she loves him and she just wants him to be a part of everything and i love that she never gives up and i think my son is starting to like realize that she's there in the beginning i don't even know if he knew he had a sister or he recognized her because he would just kind of run past her or walk past her. But now I think he's he's starting to really enjoy having her around. And the other day, uh, you know, he's pretty tall for a four-year-old. And so he was able to reach something on the counter and his fine motor skills are awful. So he couldn't open like this bag of cookies. So he looked at her and he gave her the cookies and she opened it up and she poured it on the table and then they both started eating together. It was like the first oh, time sweet. I saw them like work together on something, but she knew he needed his help and he knew he needed her. And it just, it was such a small thing probably to most parents, but it was the best feeling ever to me. That sibling bo sibling bonding is, that's to me, the, I can just picture it and it's, it's heartwarming. So, I mean, I don't have any kids, so I, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that just that image sounds, sounds very sweet. Yeah. And I just make, you know, it gives me so much hope for the future, you mm -hmm. know, that she will help him and he will help her. And, you know, that maybe it may not be an equal balance, but that he will also be able to help her. I, I worry also about, you know, her future. And if something were to ever happen to me, you know, all the pressure that she would have mm -hmm. to help her brother, or even as, you know, um, we get older, I just, I worry about how hard it might be to be a, you know, a sibling of an autistic child. Have you talked to any adult people that, that have autism and how they're dealing with it and kind of a preview of what it might be like for Max. So the thing with that is that I, I do know and I've seen and I've talked to different people, but there are some people who are very, very giving and very caring and that it's natural for them to want to help and, and they never feel like it's too much. They're giving too much or someone's taking too much. And then I know there's some types of personality where, you know, maybe they feel like their wants and their needs are most important and that they, you know, want to do things the way, you know, for what makes them happy. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with being either types of those people. But I know that in most of the situations I've seen, there's multiple siblings and there's one sibling who does most of the work while the other two siblings, you know, kind of live their life the way they, they want to. So mm. um, 
that's what kind of worries me is, is if because my daughter has one. Yeah. was 18 and said, I wanted to go to NYU and I want to move away. I wouldn't, I would want her to do that. And I would want her to do that for herself. And, and then I would worry about my son that if something were to happen to me, that either she wouldn't be able to be that person that she was, or she wouldn't even want to. That's a fine line. And it's hard to you won't know until it happens, you know, or at least until you get closer and you find out what type of person and personality that she has. Uh, exactly. Do you and your husband plan on having any more children? So we have talked about it and we've talked about it so that, well, because of the reason that we want, you know, to have multiple people that could help out with, with our son as he gets older, because, you know, we don't know what his future will be like and if he'll be able to live independently or, you know, if, he will be roommates or at, in a group home. I mean, we, we don't know, you know, mm -hmm. what his future would be. So we've talked about that. But we also talk about how much time and energy we are able to give into both of our kids right now. Mm -hmm. And that we would be able to help without having more kids. We'd be able to take, you know, both of our children out to see more and to do more. And that those experiences alone could be beneficial to him. So... I think we we talk about other children out of fear, but we're definitely happy where we're at. And, you know, I think we're good right now. <laughs> That's understandable. There is benefits and risk associated with both, you know, having that balance and figuring out which one is best for you. The, the other scary part, too, is what if we had another child with autism? You know, could I do this all over again? Every autism is different. You know, it. It's so much work and I feel like we're, it's finally getting a little easier that I don't know if I could necessarily do this again. I, I mean, I know I would. I know mm -hmm. if that if when you're put in that situation, you do it, there's, there's really no choices, but I'm honestly so exhausted and I feel like things are just starting to, to get easier and I can't wait to finally sleep again, like a full <laughs> night. <laughs> a full night's sleep. Another question that I have is that there's a big, I guess, debate between people that have autism um, saying that a cure versus that there's really no need for a cure. What is your stance on that? And let me just preface it a little bit more for the people that don't understand the debate. Some people are saying that nothing wrong with people with autism and that we should, the world should more adapt to the way that they are versus having a cure, in essence, fix them. So it's kind of that idea of it, with a cure, you're saying that there's there's something that needs to be fixed versus when you don't say that there's no need for a cure, that you're just saying is something that we should live with and adapt with. What is your stance on that and your belief? And is this something that you even thought about? Um, I've definitely thought about it. I think that if I could choose for my son to be healthy or not or to have autism or not, I would always choose for him to not have autism. But I don't believe in finding a cure. I think with this, it goes a little bit deeper. So um, they want to find specific genes that could let could give you an insight if you were going to while you're pregnant. You could get a test done that would that could tell you you could potentially have a child with autism. Mm -hmm. Do you choose to terminate this child? And I think that you know my child is not. A perfect child but I have learned so much and I've grown so much and I wish that every person that 
was going to have an autistic child or a child with autism would enjoy the pregnancy and not think about the stress of, of what's to come and to go through life as the, as it, you know, as normal as they can until they find out that, you know, that child has autism. I think that this whole trying to cure it, I don't like, you know, you can already test for down syndrome and a lot of people choose not to have a child because of that. Mm. So that really like, it hurts me to think of that part of it, but I don't think that there should be a cure either because I feel that being or having autism doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It's just another way to think. It's the way that they process things where I may see, you know, just a wood floor. You know, my son with autism may see a pattern like he may see something that's completely different. His perspective is completely different than mine. And I think that we should be more open minded to people with different perspectives and different ways of learning and processing information because there's so many people that were believed to have autism or had very uh, autistic trait, uh, like uh, Albert Einstein, Thomas Jefferson, mm -hmm. Michelangelo, Mozart. And, you know, there's things that they didn't like. Maybe it wasn't being touched or other types of affection or they had trouble with language or they, they heard things differently. So I think finding a cure would take away all these amazing people that that are fine just the way they are. You know, we don't know who's going to cure cancer or who is is going to be the next big change. But if somebody can see things in a way that no one else can see it, then maybe that's the person that is going to do those things. That's a that's a very valid point. Like you said, with Albert Einstein, Michelangelo, if, if they did those testings and aborted those pregnancies, we wouldn't have those great minds and the great contributions that they contributed to society. Exactly. Um, and if they cured their autism after they were born, then, you know, it would change their the way that they see and they think. And, you know, that's what makes them them. That's what makes anybody um, who they are. I think if we would just learn to be more accepting instead of judging right away that, you know, maybe this isn't just a bad child having a tantrum. Maybe this is a store that has too many lights or the floor is so shiny that it makes it scary to walk on. You know, mm. if we can just be a little bit more understanding to, to other people. I think that, you know, we don't, we don't need a cure. We just need acceptance and awareness. I definitely agree with you that uh, the world definitely needs more acceptance and awareness and understanding that people are different and being okay with that. Just because something that we say on this podcast very often, just because I don't agree with you, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to listen to you. Just because That's I don't so agree true. with you, that doesn't mean that you can't add value to the conversation or that I can learn something based on uh, your perspective. So having these conversations, learning more, learning different things getting different perspectives, understanding, as you said, uh, about, you know, the, the kid going in the store and you saying it's a tantrum versus, you know, there there is nine times out of 10, there's more to the story than we see or we know that gives reason to why so-and-so is doing this or so-and-so is doing that. And if we find out so those true. reasons, we can usually we tend to empathize and say, oh, that makes sense. I get why they did that. I might not have did that, but I can see why they did. And... And then you have that acceptance. So that's um, definitely something that, like I said, on, on this podcast, we, we try to convey and, and, and bring to the world is openness. That's awesome. I, w I wanted to ask you, what would be the advice that you would give to someone that was in your position when you first found out? My advice would be 
to be okay with feeling sad and depressed and to go through all of those hard, difficult feelings and to do it in whatever way you feel is, is best. And then to pick yourself up, join a lot of groups, meet a lot of parents, ask a lot of questions, show up to everything, be a part of therapies. Don't just drop your kid off and, and expect a therapist to fix your child. Be a part of what's going on. Learn about different techniques that, that the therapists use because they're, they have so much knowledge and something very difficult for you even at home could be fixed by by asking the right questions and, you know, talk to people about how you feel. If you're sad, if you're depressed, let people know. And if you decide that you don't want to let people know about your child and what you're going through, then don't be private and, and take the time that you need for yourself because it's definitely, it's, it's a lifelong journey. How, how are you dealing with it now in, in comparison to when you you know, in the very beginning, how are you dealing with it now, just personally, as a mother, as a parent, just as a person? I think I'm doing better than I was. It was, I still have days where I feel very down and very worried. And, you know, there's things that can make me cry so quickly. Um, So I think that I'm, even though I, I still feel tired, exhausted, overworked, and sad that I still feel like I'm doing better. I think that I have a great support team. Um, My husband is amazing with both of our children, and he will make sure that anything that my son, you know, is working on he make he'll make sure that we have you know the right toys or the the right things at home and that we're doing things we're able to do things the way that the school's doing it and I also have um, a group of mom friends we go out once a month and we have drinks and we have dinner and we talk about things that are stressing us out we have a group text so I think all of these things are super helpful to me and the other autism moms they're like no one else. They are funny. They're open-minded, most of them. You know, they do judge each other. Uh, I think that there's a lot of controversy on a lot of things with autism. And um, there are parents who get very upset and, you know, they go back and forth about things. But for the most part, I have a great group of friends and they they really help, especially all those low times I can send to a group, t- a, a group text and, you know, talk about how frustrated I am over potty training or, you know, something like my son said this or this happened. And it's cool. We have a great support team, just us girls. That, that's good to have a support system. We Everybody needs support, no matter how strong or, or how strong you might think you are. We all need support in some regard. We can't do this alone. I think it's a very important that. And to me, that goes for anything. In life, we need support system. We need people. We need human interaction. It's important. Very true. What would you, what are some of the, the things that people that don't know, people that are ignorant to autism, shouldn't do when approaching a family that has a child with autism? Or you might have a family member and you, you want to be a support system. You want to have that support, but you're just not quite sure how to. What would your advice be to, for them to approach that situation? Because you don't want to well, be offensive. I think to the first part, when you're saying people who aren't familiar with, there are a few things that I think that people who are not familiar with do when they know you have a child with autism. Um, One is they always try to cure your child. They try to send you articles and diets and new trial medicines and all these things that they tell you you should do because this is going to cure your child. That is really frustrating. I think I get emails from people still, and my son's been diagnosed for 
more than two years and people still tell me that they have this new miracle thing but i i do i do read things and i do you know look into it but a lot of um what i know and what i've been around i can tell real articles from fake articles Mm. and you know um sometimes children don't have autism they're misdiagnosed at a young age and you know you see a lot of of things that people say fix that child or whatnot and it it more, sounds more like the person actually outgrew those things or more something of a else, you know. Than an yeah, actual, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So I think when you know somebody, don't always talk about, oh, you know, so and so also has a child, and I heard that that autism is this or autism is that. It, it's, it's like my child is not anybody else's. I get mm-hmm. tagged still in videos of children with autism that have these amazing musical abilities or they can paint pictures by looking at something for a short amount of time and it is inspiring but it's also frustrating because I'm at an age where my son is still pretty like functioning low so it's frustrating because I'm you know I'm like that child has different problems than yeah. my son has and that child is not my child and they're or they'll say like oh you're blessed to have a child with autism because this chi- this child is a musical genius it's like well why does that child have anything to do with with mine so yeah. i think definitely staying away from like acting like you know what what it is because you you have a friend or a family member or you know somebody else that has told you what what it's like i think Asking questions about the specific child is a great is a great technique. Um, you know, trying to play with the child and maybe not getting too close, but looking at you know his social cues or her social cues. You know, what do they seem to be into? You know, pretending you're into those things too, and and you know, listening, not judging, and and not making the the parents or the family feel like you know something is too much. I've had a lot of a lot of older people who have been around my son and, and said things, you know, thinking they were joking or saying it as a joke, but it, it turned out to be, you know, for me, it was super offensive. And one time it was, you know, me calling my son. And one of the things with autism is that they don't make eye contact or, you know, they may not listen, you know, and respond right away. So I was calling his name and somebody made a joke like, oh, wow, he doesn't even know his own name. And mm. for me, yeah, it was heartbreaking. Mm. But for them, it, it was a joke, like, ha, oh, your, your son is, is, is ignoring you. And it, it's, you know, and I'm just making a joke about him ignoring you, basically. But for me, it was like, you don't understand how hard I work just for him to even look my way, even after maybe me saying his name 30 times, you know, like that, that for us takes work. So I think just being more careful with your words, asking more questions and making less assumptions is a good way to be around a family or a person with autism. Those, I think those are some great tips and, and suggestions that, that we can apply and hopefully listeners can apply that didn't know about it because, um, like I said, I, I'm learning about this more and more each day and those are things that I definitely will take when I, when I am in those situations. So I definitely appreciate that and I think other people will appreciate it as well. The last thing that I do want to ask you is how was telling your family about it and and informing them about it and how did th- how did that go and how did they kind of handle it and and deal with it Telling my family was really hard but I think I called my mom just crying and she said like it's going to be okay she, I don't think she really knew what it was and and you know she was just like telling me, well, is he going to be okay? You know, did they say everything's going to be okay? Yes. She said, then everything's going to be okay, you know? And uh, my dad was kind of 
he's a big jokester and he's very, very nice. And he doesn't like people seeing people like uncomfortable or, you know, sad or upset. So when I told him that I was upset, he was just like, oh no, he's fine. He's going to outgrow it. He'll be fine. And even now when we talk about it, my dad gets very offended when people talk about any person or people with any type of disability. It really, really hits his heart now. And he is he just is very encouraging now he tells me you know like wow he's doing so much better or gosh my smart boy is getting so big and he he's just a very positive person so he never really said okay he has autism it was just kind of like no he 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 doesn't and he's gonna outgrow it and kind of just pushed it away lightly and but has always been very helpful and very you know open-minded with everything and so that was nice. Um, with my husband's family, his sisters, he has two sisters that are nurses, and they um, right away said, uh, well, first, you know, they, they said they were sorry, and then they said that they did see signs, and they didn't want to say anything, and, you know, um, but, you know, it's good that we got a diagnosis, and that he's going to be okay, and it was hard, and we, that kind of didn't leave the immediate family for a while, and then, you know, slowly, like, reach out to each brother and, you know, then, you know, tell other people, other friends. And I kept it very, very private. I stayed to myself and, you know, until I was ready. And I think one day the way that I told the rest of the world was just through a long Facebook post and was just saying how proud I was of my son and how hard he works to do things that other kids are able to do with ease and that, you know, he was diagnosed and that we've been doing so many hours of therapy a week and that you know how how hard you know how how strong of a kid he was I you know I that was my way of just kind of letting it out to everybody else was I'm so proud of him he's so strong and he works so hard and and he does have autism but I don't you know I don't care anymore and I I just had all this pride in him it was no longer sad you just love him yeah and what was the reception from the Facebook message so the awesome thing was I actually got a lot of private messages. I, I got a lot of love and support on there and a mm. lot of, you know, um, we will pray for you. You guys are in our prayers and just a lot of nice things. But I did and I still do get a lot of messages about people questioning their own children. And, hey, how did you know, you know, what what was happening? Because my child is is doing this, this, and that. Do you know what that is? And, you know, I love it because now I'm able to point people in the right direction. Like, no, that's actually not a sign of autism. Or, you know, um, it sounds like you should get, like, look into this. And, you know, I know of this, this that could help you for now, but um, these are the steps to take. And I always reassure people that, you know, just because my son has autism and their child does something that my son does, that doesn't mean that their child has autism. You know, there's a lot of behaviors that we have as as infants and toddlers that we outgrow and there's a you know there's yeah some overlap between what you call them nts and and non-nts so yeah exactly so you know um but yeah i i and i also receive messages from people who have children with autism that i didn't know and that haven't told other people and just said wow you know you're so brave and i just want to let you know that it gets easier and if you have questions let me know and i thought that was awesome too because it was like they trusted me you know they didn't want other people to know Mm. Um, but they they trusted me, and I love that. I have a lot of people who come to me for questions or advice, or you know, where should I go or what should I do? And because I was 
I, I worked in the medical field for so long, like, a, you know, I have like the basic knowledge of how to get through things and how, you know, um, how to get things kind of expedited now mm-hmm. that I've gone through it. So I so, love it. That's great that you, you've became a resource for others to them as well. So that, that's, that's awesome that you can help people just like you were helped in, in, in your situation. Exactly. And, and once my kids are in school full time um, and I go back to work because I don't work right now, my son's schedule is really hectic. Uh, he starts school from nine to one most days and then I pick him up at one and then he usually will start his home therapy at 2.30 and he goes 2.30 to 6 and his only day off is Saturdays. And then Sunday we have a short like two hour home session. But, you know, he basically is busy from nine to six and he gets a nap in between and he gets you know a few minute breaks but he works you know 40 hours a week yeah that's a full Um, schedule yeah so um once his schedule and he's in school full-time and his therapies decrease because Mm -hmm. we're hoping once we're more caught up that you know we can do less and we can see more so i think at that point when i do go back to work i want to go back and volunteer somewhere to help parents with any any children that have just been diagnosed or were born with any type of, you know, issues. I would love to to be that person to and be that resource and to tell people, you know, I've been through this and I've seen it and I know how hard it is and how frustrating it is. And I know like God chose me for my son because I am definitely the only person that could probably handle him and, you know, and his routine and and all the obstacles that are coming with it. He knew you were strong enough. The very last question that I do want to ask you is what is the best thing about Max that the world doesn't get to see that it's kind of um, only that you really get to see that that best part or you and your husband, I would say, you know, my son is is so smart. Those imperfections that he's able to find he he's just he's funny with it when he first found like this crack in the floor, he would like circle around it and I always wondered what, like, why he was circling around it because he was only like 13 or 14 months. And then I realized that he found a crack in our floor. And so it's, it's, you know, he's able to find those, just crazy imperfections. And I can't wait till he talks because I wonder, like, is he going to be into art or is he going to be into, like, you know, music or, or what's going to interest him because, you know, of his, because of how, how well he sees things. But I am very thankful that he, the best part about him, how loving he is, that he, he shows it to everyone. And it's not something that no one else, you know, sees, but everyone loves it about him. He's, oh. He loves to give hugs and <laughs> he loves to squeeze people really tight. And that's something that most children with autism don't don't like. But he's like a, such a cuddler and he's 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 fun. He's always happy and he laughs so much and he's like that with everyone. And I really love that. People notice him right away, especially at schools and different programs that he's been in, just how loving and how happy of a child he is. It just, I, I love that about him. And I think people probably think that he's not always like that, that he has to have some sort of like sad or frustrated moments, but he actually doesn't. He's, He's the happiest baby. Well, happiest my baby. Max sounds like a, a great little guy. First, I want to say thank you so much for coming and doing this podcast. I, I feel like I've learned a lot. I think a lot of people will have learned a lot as well from listening to this. So I definitely want to say thank you to you, your husband, and Max as well for letting us into your world and sharing this story with us and, and getting a perspective, again, that I don't think a lot of people have or 
have a deep understanding of it as, as I think we got on this podcast. Is there anything else that you felt like you wanted to add or say that we didn't get a chance to get to? I think the only, there's just a few things, you know, there's a big controversy with like vaccines and do vaccines cause autism. Mm. I think that when you meet a parent of a, of a child with autism, you know, the causes and the things that you may have read or the things that you believe, they can be very hurtful when you're, you're talking to someone, you know, because like I said, I, I felt guilty and to blame for, you know, my son's diagnosis. So I think those debates and those personal questions, like people should, should be more aware, you know, of what they're saying and what they're asking and to not really go there, I guess, like, don't, don't go there. Don't, don't, don't oh. ask about that. Don't make that like a big thing. I was um, going to ask you, you know, do you think that that would be a that's kind of those questions that should be saved for like the political arena when they're discussing and like in that sort of arena versus when you're trying to talk to somebody on a personal level? Those are not personal questions that you should ask a parent. Is that exactly. is that kind of where you're exactly. leaning to? Yes, exactly. Like um, a lot of people, a lot of people like to give advice. Like I said earlier, oh, so and so said this. Oh, so and so did this. And there's actually cleanses that people do to their children, and they have them drinking these these different. I don't even know what they are. Basically, to clear the body of toxins. And parents have put their kids through a lot of different. You know, a lot of different things because they read these things. And I think that. People don't realize they put more pressure on the parent, you know, to think, well, maybe I should be doing more. Maybe mm. I'm not doing enough. You know, maybe I should be doing less. I just think that those those questions and there's a lot of things, I think, with uh, with the causes of autism that should just be, you know, left out. Even if it is someone that's really close to you, like let them bring it up or ask if they're comfortable talking about it. Don't just automatically do it. You know, I have very close family members who still tell me that, that, you know, so-and-so is the cause of autism and that I should be doing this. And, and it, it's hurtful. And I know they come from a good place, but it, it's, it's very hurtful. My, my stance would be, and I didn't want to ask that question in the first place for this interview. And the reason why I didn't want to ask it is because to me, it's kind of irrelevant of the cause because we're at the point now where your, your son's four, you know what I'm saying? Like it's to me, it would be different if I was talking to somebody on ways to prevent it from having happening in the future. But if I'm talking to somebody that's already in it, there's no sense in me talking to them about preventing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like, yeah. And so it's that's true. why I, it's it, yeah. And it leads parents to, I mean, I, I'm friends with a lot of, a lot of uh, parents of uh, children with autism and, Parents have tried the craziest things because people tell them, you know, these things and, and they're trying to fix and cure autism. And it's, it's, it's just, it's sad, you know, because one person, you know, feels a certain way about something and then they, they want to make it a topic. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, remember your boundaries, I guess, with, um, <laughs> parents and uh, of, a. Uh, children that are different and you know when you're out in a store you see something like it's okay to offer help even to the mom you know like it's it's okay like if you see my son doing something that maybe your neurotypical child may not do like it, it's okay to look and a smile like you you know you don't have to just pretend like he doesn't exist and he's mm. not there and just because he's doing something different I think it makes people un uncomfortable to see things that are different and you know it, my son doesn't understand even what he's doing most of the time it you know it, mm. he's too far gone into what he's doing but 
you know, I love when people pass me by in the store and they have nice things to say about my son, even though he may do something different or, you know, just positive people. Like we do so much tearing down, you know, we, we tear each other apart over everything. And I think Mm -hmm. just being nicer and more open-minded to other types of people, that would be so great. I wish, I wish I could deal with people like that more often instead of people looking and and judging and, you know, making me feel like I'm not doing enough or I'm a bad parent. Like I said, I, I, I'm not going to lie and act like I understand where you're coming from, but I can, based on the things that you told me, I can definitely picture those situations. And like you said about, you know, a kid in the store, how people will act like they don't see it, like, like the kid's invisible. And that can, I, can, I can see that being hurtful as well because everybody wants to, you know, th- their presence to be acknowledged. And even if Max doesn't, realize that you're not acknowledging his presence, you as a mother do. And so just taking that into consideration and, and just being, like you said, being a little bit more open-minded and accepting, I think will go a long way. For sure. Is there is there anything else that you want to let people know about any organizations or things like that, that, as you said, the what was it, the Regent Center, I, I believe that was called? Regional Center. The Regional Center. Uh, I definitely yeah. will put that on uh, the description because it seemed like it was very instrumental in helping you. Uh, I want to make sure that other people are aware of that resources as well. Definitely. And they have a lot of um, different resources through them. Even if you don't have a child that has um, a diagnosis, they do evaluations there. If you, um, you know, even suspect something maybe maybe different, they have the perfect resources to send you exactly where you where you need to go they help assist you financially if you need it but most of well all services right now are covered for under three and most of them they come directly to your home so they make everything you know pretty easy and they have a lot of classes and a lot of uh, things to learn from and you know if you just use the speech services while your child catches up and then you know your child is you know, in regular classes and and completely caught up developmentally, then, you know, they're also good for things like that. It's just, you don't have to have a disability, but if you have any questions or anything that you feel like, you know, you're unsure if it's normal, they're they're great resources and they have great doctors. And, you know, I love that they, they help everyone and anyone. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I definitely uh, I'm going to put that information up on the description. Uh, so if anybody out there is listening, um, you can go to the description and uh, get more information about that or use a friendly Google or Bing. <laughs> but uh, like I said, I'll have uh, I'll, I'll try to get as much that information up as I can. Again, I want to say thank you so much for doing this podcast, doing this uh, interview and bringing us into your world. I know it's not the easiest thing to allow people into your world and and get so personal and and deep, but I guarantee you there's going to be people that listen to this and that appreciate it and opens people's minds and hopefully we'll get more acceptance and openness of others because they have a better understanding. I think that's a key for a lot of people is they don't know. There are some people that know and still still, still aren't open, but I think some of it is just lack of information. I I agree. And I just want to thank you for letting me, you know, come and talk today. And and thank you for everyone who listened in. And if you don't agree with something that I said, you know, or if I offended you in any way because you feel differently, I apologize. This is just my journey and my story with my son. And if anyone has any questions or, you know, just wants to talk about anything that, you know, maybe be related to autism, um, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and, you know, 
you can uh, feel free to send me a message or ask me a question. And, you know, I'm always open-minded and I love, love, love talking about the journey of my son and what autism is and, and what it isn't. I, you know, it's, it's my whole life now and, and I would love to educate and inform as many people as I could. We'll have um, Anissa's information up the information on our page to, to get in contact with her. And then we'll have the information about the regional center as well and some other information that is related to autism and just educating people about autism. So we'll end the podcast as we normally do. You know our motto, live, listen to some great music, and above all, love more. We're out.